All right, what's marriage for? Tips for healthy conversations around this kind of topic um, in our society. I'm going to talk to somebody about this question. Um, here's what I want you to be on the lookout for for the rest of this morning. Uh, so we won't go in detail here. This is just the kind of the guidelines, and then we'll come back to these. These topics will keep coming up as we work through the morning. Um, Here's my definition of marriage. It's not scientific, and it's not particularly religious. In other words, this is how I think I'd want to describe marriage to someone not knowing where they were coming from religiously. It's a better or worse, publicly accountable, exclusive, right? You're only marrying one person at a time, pledge to share 100% of life with each other. Now, that 100% of life with each other is not, you know, I'm trying to encourage some unhealthy codependent sort of thing. That's me trying to get this biblical concept of one flesh union. The two shall become one flesh. Right? What does that, what does that mean? Well, I, here's one way to paraphrase that. We're, we're sharing everything. <clears throat> um, if I get a chance to go a little bit deeper, I'm going to say it's a pattern of stealing a phrase from uh, a book by Tim and Kathy Keller, Mutual Fulfillment Through Mutual Sacrifice for Life-Giving Purposes. And uh, the life-giving purposes, the spouses give life to one another. There's the obvious um, potential for giving, giving uh, rise to biological life, having children, or at least having the kind of relational environment where children could flourish, even if we're not able to have children. Or if we don't have any children right now, we should still be creating the kind of relational environment where it would be healthy for children to be introduced. Um, and, um, and I think we could also talk spiritually and theologically here, life-giving purposes, that, that um, is the marriage being directed towards something that's going to bring spiritual life. In other words, it's not an idol that's at the center of our marriage. It's not a marriage-centered marriage. Or a romance-centered marriage. Uh, but is it, is it aimed towards something bigger, toward God? Now, I may not get to have all those uh, <clears throat> nuanced details in the first round of conversation, but here's my stab at a definition. Tip number one, don't assume the question behind the question. Here's the question behind the question. If, we're, if the question is, what's marriage for? The question behind that is, who gets to say? Who gets to say what marriage is for? Right? Uh, Again, scientific research. You heard of Quora? Like, if you just want to see what random people have to say on a topic, go to a QA website, right? And here you go. Uh, Marriage is simply a social tradition, it's dying off. Paper from the government can't make a relationship more legitimate. So, on this scenario, who gets to say what marriage is for? Okay, it has been society. Right, Because it was just a social tradition. So society was saying what marriage is for. And now, because that's on the way out, someone else gets to say what marriage is for. Right, And maybe the government wants to have a say in what marriage is for. Um, <clears throat> but here the individual is kind of standing in a position of evaluation over society and government. Um, so, who gets to say what marriage is for? Uh, here, here are three possibilities. 
it's a cultural construct, so society has always been telling us what marriage is for, and maybe society was right or wrong, but it came from society, from culture. Who gets to say what marriage is for? If you think marriage is a cultural construct, then you're probably working your way toward this conclusion, that it's the individual who says what marriage is for. So we can make marriage be or not be whatever we want. The government can't tell us um, about it. Our culture shouldn't tell us about it. Tradition is not a reliable guide. And, um, and then notice that what we're going to want to keep coming back to if we're following Jesus is that marriage is a supernatural gift. It, it is not something that human beings came up with. Now that doesn't mean that we haven't layered some of our own customs on top of this supernatural gift. Yes, fallen human beings have a great way of layering unhelpful things or sometimes helpful things, great things, neutral things on top of this supernatural gift, right? But don't be surprised if you, if you have an apples and oranges conversation, right? If you're walking into a conversation about what's marriage for, assuming that the, the supernatural giver gets to have their say versus someone who doesn't even have that on the radar screen. So maybe taking some time to unpack that and to say early on in a conversation, hey, as we talk about what marriage is for, where are you you rooting that? Who do you think has a say in that? Oh, that's interesting. Tell me why you think that way. Let me put my cards on the table. Here's how I'm thinking. It may be different from the way you think, but we're going to have a much more meaningful conversation. Tip number two, stay focused. What is blank for? What's marriage for? Often bleeds over into conversations about what are wedding ceremonies for. Those are two different discussions. They're related, but they're not exactly the same thing. Um, What are the legal and civil functions associated with marriage for? That's different from marriage. God did not give us marriage for tax benefit purposes, right? So, so now those are legitimate conversations, but be prepared for wandering whack-a-mole kind of conversations where, where at one moment we're talking about what marriage is for, and then the next moment we're talking about how frustrated we are with the way people do wedding ceremonies, and then at another moment we're saying it's just unfair for some people to get a legal tax break and other people don't. Those are three different conversations. And if you are like a high logical thinker expecting all this to run in a straight, direct, straight line and stay on, on topic, <clears throat> well, if your conversation partner is like that, good on you. Otherwise, be ready for this kind of mixed um, yeah, there are cultural expressions associated with marriage, and and those have to be uh, you know un- unpacked and, and filtered out. Uh, so, in some cultures, for example, if we talk about marriage, we're talking about polygamy. Is that the conversation that we're always having when we talk about marriage, or only in some cultures? In some cultures, when you talk about marriage, you're talking about the husband works outside the home. Well, if you were in ancient Greece, no, the husband would not work. The ideal was he didn't have to work at all. Husband works out outside the home, 
you know, 1950s leave it to beaver kind of model. That didn't work in ancient Greece. Also, go back to the 1700s. Most people worked in their, in their place of residence. Like you, you work where you live. Working outside the home was not a thing. That's a cultural expression that we've layered on top. Some people might hate marriage because they hate that. And if we can separate those two and have a different kind of conversation. So tip number one, right, is uh, don't assume the question behind the question. Worth thinking about, worth having a conversation about that. Stay focused. Don't get frustrated if conversations ramble a bit and try to, you know, cover lots of territory. Uh, Tip number three, emphasize core themes. The power of truth and the power of love. So as a Christian, I think this is the, the single theme that if you could have a conversation with about, about marriage with um, someone who's been impacted by contemporary cultural understandings of marriage, this would be the main thing to talk about. Because this is the Christian gospel. And it just so happens that it shows up in marriage. But it shows up everywhere in Christianity. The power of truth combined with the power of love. You can be fully known and fully loved. That's the gospel. Someone can know everything about you, every flaw, every way that you fail, and still be wildly committed to you and wildly celebratory over you. And completely committed to doing what is best for you always. Even though I know so much about you that if I wanted to make the case why I should drop you like a hot rock, I could. <laughs> right? That's, that's the glory of the gospel, the power of truth, and the power of love. The power to expose reality. Dating can't do it. I will learn some truth about you when we're dating, like you don't show up on time. That's one of the things Trisha learned about me. Um, <clears throat> but marriage will reveal even deeper layers. And yet, power of love. Can we have that combination outside of marriage? Good question. Um, second, the lower no maintenance dilemma. You'll, that'll come up later. Um, and then third, the need to be when we don't feel. I think if I gave you a few minutes to unpack that third one, the need to be when we don't feel, you could probably flesh that out, right? That'll come up later. So putting a couple of these tips together, notice how easy it would be if we were trying to win an argument and the conversation kept skipping around to who really gets to say what marriage is for? And what are we actually discussing when we discuss marriage? If the goal is to win the argument, is that going to get heard? So in having conversations with people about marriage and what it's for, one of the first things we need to do is is ask God to give us a clear focus on what is the main thing I want my friend, my child, my spouse (laughs) to hear. Do do I want to win this argument? Do I want to flesh all those nuances out? I'm not saying it's unhelpful to do those things, but hey, number one goal, I, I want to make sure that this gets heard. All right, here we go. What's marriage for? A test case. So, <clears throat> a pyramid, and we're going to work down 
from the, the kind of most immediate to the most foundational. And we're going to use a test case, and we're going to answer the question, what is marriage for, by starting with a different question. So, so this is not my answer to what is marriage for. What is marriage for? We're going to get there. But let's start here. This is a topic that our culture is talking about a lot. This is something that our bodies are driving us to think about a lot. Um, and it's just kind of low-hanging fruit, right? So let's assume two people have decided to live together instead of getting married. Why have they made that decision? There could be a whole lot of reasons. I think one reason is probably going to be we can be together physically, intimately, when we choose, how we choose, and it's just easier to not have to leave the apartment and drive home. Right? I get to stay there. Um, So let's start there. Is that going to be enough? Uh, David hinted at this last week when he said, um, you you know, you're writing checks your, uh, your heart can't cash. Your body's writing checks your heart can't cash. Because the, the closer you are to someone physically, the more it's drawing your whole self in to say, I, I want this to be more than just a physical union. And now I'm going to have to either deny that or push it back or find some coping me- mechanism if I don't want that to continually be flooding in. Because the reality is, I don't want you to be thinking about someone else while we're in the middle of this kind of physical intimacy. At a very base level, right? I don't think there's anybody in the world who would say, yeah, I'm kind of happy to hear you calling somebody else's name right now. That's the clue that I'm, that I'm in it for something more than biological. Let's press down a deeper level. I would like to be having sex with someone who loves me. At some point, we're probably going to get there. Do we need to be married yet? According to our, our cultural paradigms right now, Do I need to be married to have sex? No. Okay. Do I need to be married to have a relationship in which there could be a context of love? No. How about this one? At some point, I'm going to want to know not only that this person loves me, but they're not going to leave me. Now, maybe we might want to define how long the not leaving is, and maybe it's a not leaving until I've given you three weeks' notice or whatever ground rules we set, right? But on some level, I want to be loved by someone who's not just going to walk away whenever they feel like it. Do we need to be married yet? Are we, are we doing okay with living together at this point? All right, let's, let's play devil's advocate for a minute. So um, somebody make the case that I can do this without being married, that living together will, will meet these criteria. Okay, so I just look at the world around me and I see enough people doing this without being married, right? There's some level of commitment. They're not just walking away from each other. So there's kind of the empirical argument. I see this happening in the world around me. All right, argue it the other way. Argue it the other way. Make, make me the case that if I really want this, just living together is not going to, Take care of it. Yeah, how, what what level of promise, commitment? Who's defining what the won't leave means, and all of that? So we're getting close to this territory where, mm, 
All right, uh, Tim and Kathy Keller say this in their book, The Meaning of Marriage. Outside of marriage, sex is accompanied by a desire to impress or entice someone. Are you going to leave me if I stop impressing you? Are you going to leave me if someone else entices you away? Those are the questions that are coming up. Right? Hmm. Yeah. That's more and more of what happens. So they're saying that right. kind of takes a little bit of a Yeah, if the rates of leaving among those who are married are the same as those who aren't married, then it starts to kind of under, undermine some of that the force of that argument. That's a great point. Okay. an interesting story and what a great reminder to know somebody's story right so let's say you, you, you enter a conversation with this friend who's been living with someone for 12 years and therefore legally they are married in, in, in the eyes of so nothing's going to change for them legally when they get married um, and it would be easy to just kind of come into that conversation just like we hate living together. We're Christians. We hate people who live together. <laughs> Let me score points and win battles and, and maybe win a culture war in the process and run all over this like, can I understand why you were frightened to marry someone? If I know that story, I can understand it. At the end of the day, I, I, I may wonder whether that was the wisest choice, but at least I can understand before just kind of blowing, blowing people out of the water. All right, here we go. We're going to add a layer. Um, I want somebody who's not going to leave me. I want somebody who's actually going to share 100% of themselves with me. Because I can have a committed relationship with someone who's not going to leave, but someone who has said, you get 50% of my heart. And can, can that be part of our deal? That, that this is a great business arrangement, you, you know, you get 50% of my money, you get 50% of my heart, but I'm just, at some, le- at some point, we're going to want to go deeper and say, I'd like to have a commitment with somebody who's not going to remain, keep part of themselves distant from me, keep part of themselves secret from me, hidden from me. Now, does that mean I'm going to become your um, 
everything at every moment. No, we'll talk about that in just a second. Um, bigger than just us. I guess when we start talking about a, a, a biblical vision of marriage, or even a culturally traditional view of marriage that isn't especially Christian or biblical, there's still the concept of marriage should be about something that's bigger than just the two of us. Now, I think as we get deeper down this triangle, it's going to be harder to meet these criteria in a living together arrangement. I'm not saying it would be impossible. I'm simply saying that part of what marriage does is it brings this framework where the understanding is Yes, there will be sex involved, but there's going to be a ton of love involved. And, and there's this commitment that we won't leave. And also a commitment that, that we're not just revealing a little bit of who we are, bringing something of who we are to the relationship, but we're bringing our whole self to it. Um, and it's about something bigger than just us. It's about having children, or at least, as I said earlier, having the sort of relationship where it would be healthy for children to flourish even if we don't yet have children and may never have children. It's about our families. Our pastor saved us a lot of grief in college when he said, the marriage is for you, but the wedding ceremony is for your families. Because <laughs> we couldn't understand why people we knew didn't even know were being invited to our wedding. And realizing, oh, it's about the the people our parents know. It's not just about us. It's bigger than us. Community, world, faith. Uh, that, and, and from a Christian perspective, it's about Jesus' love for the church being modeled within this human relationship. Um, it's, it's about something that's bigger than just the two of us. Um, one writer described contemporary views of marriage this way, as I was reading this week, called it introspective coupledom. The thing marriage does is it makes you a couple in a way that, that you get to sort of celebrate it publicly. And, and, and like Instagram, here we come. Everything's about the couple. And it's turned inward. Um, as opposed to everything being about something that's bigger than just the two of us. Here's a, a statement from Cora answering the question, what's marriage for? Um, to back it up, I would cite um, John Cox, PhD in psychiatry. He says this is the single most problematic pattern he sees in our culture today. The way this anonymous person on Quora has summarized marriage, John says this, this is it. This is the challenge. The whole purpose of marriage is that your life will not go unnoticed. Your spouse will be the witness of your joys, your sorrows, your sufferings, your each tiny experience. And in short, your spouse would be the witness of your life. You're like, Jimmy, what's wrong with that? That sounds like, you know, saying sharing 100% of our life, ourself, uh, one flesh union, the two shall become one. Isn't that what this is? Is it? The purpose of marriage is that your life will not go unnoticed. It's all about making sure that I get seen that i get heard remember that phrase we borrowed from tim and kathy Keller about the pattern within marriage is is of mutual fulfillment through mutual sacrifice it's because i'm going to let go of whether i get heard 
And I'm going to let you steward that question. And I'm going to steward the question about whether you get heard. I don't have to worry about whether someone knows me anymore because you have committed to take care of that. And I'm going to trust you to do that. And I'm going to know you. And we're going to serve one another in that way. This kind of sense that um, I have to find someone who completes me. Someone who uh, fills up everything that's empty in me. And it makes another human being uh, have to live up to a pressure that no human being can satisfy. And so no wonder uh, many people are dissatisfied with marriage because they're... That makes total sense. If you're hoping there's someone out there who can love you so completely that you feel that no detail of your life has gone unnoticed, uncelebrated, unaffirmed. Nobody can ever do that. All right, and now we need some open accountability. And, and to me, this is one of the huge things that's missing when we talk about living together. Put it another way, uh, very formal language. Unmarried cohabitations labor under an ambiguity about what exactly the man and the woman have consented to. Have they agreed to the same thing? And so that would be one of the key questions that we want to think about uh, sort of an advantage of marriage is that we get this package deal that says we have publicly said that we want other people to hold us accountable to living out this kind of relationship. It's not just an agreement between the two of us. So that if there's conflict, um, you know, I, I can just say, well, that's, that's your opinion and, and leave. That there are other parties brought in. Now, in a Christian perspective, one of those parties is God himself. A young man, Georgia Satellites, ring a bell for anybody, you know the song? Keep your hands to yourself. One hit wonders, they only ever wrote one song. I mean, they, there was another one on the other side of the 45, I get it. But, you know, 1988, keep your hands to yourself. That man is going to tell that woman anything she wants to hear so that he doesn't have to keep his hands to himself, right? And so there's this piece missing of, of going, but how do I know you'll keep this promise to love me, not just the sex with me? How do I know that you'll keep this promise to not leave? How do I know that you'll share this deeply with me? How do I know that we're in it together for something bigger than just us? What level of accountability is there? Um, Who's on the team with us to help us through this? Who's on the team with us? Um, So one of the things I do in premarital counseling is I look at each spouse and I say, I'm telling you right now that if you ever hit a problem and you feel like you need third-party help, that the two of you can't work it out and you need somebody else to come in, that you both don't have to agree on that. If one of you says we need that help, then the other one needs to agree to it. And you're making me that promise right now. And if if she won't keep that promise, then, dude, you just call me. Because right now you're making that promise to me. And and I will talk to her and remind her that she made this promise. And Now, more often it's the dude who doesn't want the outside help, right? It's like, I, I'm the fixer. I can take care of it. Hey, when he gets like that, you just call me. <laughs> that, that's just, just 
very practical outworking of this accountability. Of we're we're going to need some help at some point. Um, it's not going to be easy. Wh- who's on our team? And um, so all of this building toward a, a bigger concept. A wedding ceremony can celebrate how we feel right now, how we feel in these circumstances when everything might be rosy or the challenges aren't too great. But a, a marriage commitment of the kind that David was discussing last week involves a promise to be something even in the moments when I don't feel like it and even when the circumstances are different. You're going to have this conversation, talk about this um, sanctification piece. <laughs> That's what marriage is for. Marriage is for the power of truth and the power of love to come together. The power of truth revealing to me where I need to grow and change. I, I wouldn't use that language with people who, for whom it's not going to have meaning, right? Sanctification. Um, but I, I need to grow and change, and I need to become a different kind of person. And in marriage, I get the power of truth and the power of love amplified. Because here's the thing. If we've made an agreement to live together until we change our minds, or until one of us wants to walk away, I'm only going to let you see so deep. You're only going to get to peel back so many layers of the onion. But if we've made this promise that says... There are people on our team, and this is about something bigger than us, and we're sharing everything, and we're not going to leave each other. Then now I can be honest and say, you know, last night I wasn't just not paying attention to you. The words I spoke, I intended them to hurt you very deeply. Please forgive me. And this is not the first time I've done it. Please forgive me. I think I need some help. Will you be patient with me while I work this through? Now I can grow and change in a much deeper way. So one of the um, illustrations you get in Tim and Kathy Keller's book, The Meaning of Marriage, is the gem tumbler where you throw in all the raw stones and you start grinding them around and they knock the rough edges off of one another and they come out more beautiful than when you put them in. And of course the biggest, most solid rock of all is the love of Christ. Uh, that, That means we don't get shattered in the process. All right, that's a whole lot of stuff. Um, I hope it's helpful and uh, hope that it gets us thinking in some some good directions. Um, Stay tuned for more as um, we'll talk about repentance in this morning's sermon. And so you can see where repentance might fit into this kind of relationship as well. The sermon's not focused on marriage, but yeah, part of this sanctification, growth, and change process. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, help us to grow and to change. Um, Make us part of something that is bigger than just us. Uh, We are living in a moment when uh, we could panic and say marriage is crumbling, or we could ask the Spirit to strengthen us to be a breath of fresh air um, and, and maybe to cause people to pause and to think different thoughts than they have imagined might be possible about marriage. Make us loving as we do that, committed to your truth, but committed to holding the power of truth together with the power of love 
Um, it's hard. We won't always get it right. That's why we need your help. We are accountable to you and grateful that life is something bigger than just us, that you're with us in it. Prepare us now for worship and um, fill up all the empty places that have been drained dry by the week we've just left and uh, strengthen us for the week ahead. We pray in your name. Amen.